0: This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. If you're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? If you will, this morning, we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture, but we're going to start out in the book of Acts and then move to first Timothy quickly. And then we're going to look at other passages, uh, start off with Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, this week and the next several weeks, we're going to be answering this questions, this question, who are we? Have you ever thought about that? No, don't, I don't, please don't stand up and give me that information right now. But who are we? When, uh, when we, we think about being a believer, and, and, and like I'd say, living out the gospel, who are we? When we live in our communities and we think about the influence a church should have in a city, in a state, in a nation, we have to be able to ask ourselves, who are we? Am I a believer? What does that mean? Am I a believer? Do I do do life by myself? Who is the church? As a church, who are we? Why are there so many other churches? Why are there so many different names to churches? A lot of the questions that we have, I don't even know if we really have the answer to it. So I want us to think about this over the next several weeks. And I want you, each and every week, to be able to answer that question as we... Look at God's word and and look into the the life of the church. Who are we? Turn if you will to Acts chapter two. There these three passages I want you to write somewhere. They are probably three of my most favorite passages when I look at the church. Acts two, forty-two through forty-seven, Acts two, forty-two through forty-seven, Acts eleven, nineteen through twenty-six. In 1 Timothy 3:14 and 15. First Acts 2:42 through47. And they, those being that had just been saved, the, the early church growing, the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they had made professions of faith. And I'll go ahead and say this now. what they did then is the same thing we need to do now. What they did as a church then is the same thing that we need to be doing now. Things change, culture changes, the way we may do the things may change, but we have to do the thing to be the church. And so as we read the Bible and see what they did and what they were doing, that should apply to us as a church today. Because who we are is the same thing as who they were. They, being believers filled with the Holy Ghost, had come to faith in Christ. They had been repented of their sin and they were baptized in the fellowship of the church and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking and bread of prayers. I, I love this passage because it gives us a light, an insight, and a light into the early church. They were devoted, they were passionate, they loved the church. Today, the church is just something we do. To them, was the church was who they were. When they came into the relationship with Christ, the church was them. They were the church. That was their being. That's who they were, the, the fellowship of believers. To us today in our world, especially in our country, the church is just something that we do. And a lot of times, it's something what we do when everything else is done. Right? Is that an amen? Missed you at church Sunday? Pastor, we were busy. And I always tell people, it doesn't affect me when you're not in church. It does in a flesh, because I look out and see you're not here. So it does affect me. But when someone is not fellowshipping with the Lord, who do you think it affects? Them. And it grieves the Spirit of God. But we've kind of taken church into, uh, I'm going to try to get there. Was it vacation or something? I mean, is, is it a chore that we're trying to get in when we can? The early church was devoted to the things of the Lord, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. See, I used to say that the Baptist church was first in the book of Acts, but there's no way the Baptist church was in Acts because somebody got it over here. Baptists don't usually have all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And this is what makes this passage so wonderful for me. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why are we not seeing revival take place in Avon Park? Because we're not devoted to the things of God. We're not seeing people saved day by day by day by day because the people of God are not devoted to the things of God and they're not proclaiming the gospel of God and they're not encouraging people to come to God. That's where the church fits in. The church is just not something that we do and pastors tell you to come to and give to. The church is the body. This is who we are. And when we're devoted to the thing, to the Lord, you take our nation for instance. I wonder how many people have had a a patriotic feel-good expression today and we say something like, God bless America, America, which is good, all right, I'm not making fun of that. What does it take for God to bless America? For us to all put a flag on our lapel pin and come to church? For us to to wave our flag in the in the front yard and and, and, you know love our country and reflect on, on the goodness and the greatness of our country, what what does it take for God to bless America? For the people of God to be devoted to the things of God. It's not hard. We have made it very difficult. Another passage. Acts chapter 11, the key of this series over the next several weeks and I'm very excited about is that I want us to love the church. I want us to love his church. When we think about First Baptist Church, I think of it two ways. I think of it one way, I think of you all. I literally think of people. When I think of First Baptist Church, I think of people. I think of you and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and that we have one another. And I know I give you a hard time because after I end up preaching, you'll stand around for 45 minutes. But yet this is what bothers me about that. When I'm preaching, you act like you're ready to go. When I stop, you hang out forever. Why don't I just preach for those extra 45 minutes? You're going to be here anyway, amen? Do I have a motion? Can I have a second? All in favor? So moved. Because we love one another. We, and I, when I think of the church, that's what I think of. I think of you. And I, I love my church. And I'm selfish. And I love you. But I also think of the Lord and His church. And what we're here for. And the difference that we can make if we understand who we are as the church. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And those that were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And notice what they were doing. Speaking the word to no one except the Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyrus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. They were preaching to their little cultural circle, I guess you could say. But notice what they were doing. Speaking the word of the Lord. Verse 20. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And guess what happened? And the hand of the Lord was on them. And a great number who believed did what? Turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church, a gathering, a people, a specific congregation in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were what? Added to the Lord. You're seeing a, a supernatural event take place you can't even explain. You're, you're praying for people to come to the Lord. You're encouraging people to come to know the Lord. You're sharing the gospel with people, but you really don't have any control over it. And then all of a sudden God just kind of shows up and, and people start coming to the Lord. That's revival. That is God doing His work His way. And it seems to always happen when people get serious about who they are in Christ and in their walk with Christ and what they're doing for Christ. The report came to the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, it is the grace of God, the gift of God, the pleasures of God, the desires of God for people to be saved. Barnabas couldn't help but to see God working in the midst. And he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who we know later becomes Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church. A people, but a local people. And they taught great many people i love that word taught because it means so many different things sometimes what goes on in church is there's event there are things there's programs there's stuff i don't even know what you call it there's there's activity there you go there's a lot of activity but is it gospel-centered worship gospel-centered fellowship and is there teaching and preaching of the word of God these were not I mean I don't know about you I don't know how highly intelligent civilians the city life was in Antioch I don't know you know their aptitude and their learning I don't think they probably had high speed internet at this time they probably didn't have a bunch of commentaries and and even though Southern Baptist Seminary has been around for a long time. Southern Seminary wasn't around a long time. Notice what they did. They taught. They were were serious about who they were in Christ. They were serious about what their new life. And I think more than anything what it was is they were serious about who their new life was. They just had gotten saved. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to believe. They just knew their, their life was different. And they knew that this church had something to do with it. And this church is where they met the Lord. And this church is where they hear about the things of God. And it became to be a serious thing for them. Because they knew they were being called out of something. And they were being called into something. And they didn't know what to do and how to react and how to live. And so they knew they needed to be taught and modeled and mentored in ministry. And for a whole year. Barnabas, which, you might know what the name Barnabas means? Encourager. He encouraged them and he taught with them and he sat with them. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we could ask ourselves, what is a Christian? This is unplanned right here. A Christian is someone that is devoted to the church and the Lord and His work. And someone that is is willing to to proclaim and preach the Lord Jesus Christ in the environment they live. And there are people that, that are sitting under and, and listening to the Word of God. And there are people that are being taught how to live out the Christian life. And there are people that are investing in the life of others and helping them live out the Christian life. And there are people that come together for a common good to see the gospel go throughout their community. That is a Christian. Now how loosely do we throw that term around? You know how we do it in our culture, and we're talking about Baptists, and in a moment we will, I hope. I'll have to do the the sermon the, the second 45 minutes. We walk an aisle. We take a little clipboard with a piece of paper about that big. We put our name across the top. There's a series of boxes. I'm coming today to take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow today by immerse, baptism by immersion, and I want to join the church. I'm either doing it by baptism, by statement a letter, or statement, by transfer of letter or statement. We fill that out. We check the box. We stand down here the pastor. The pastor says, all in favor of so-and-so doing this. He's checked the box. All in favor of them, joining the church. Let me know known by saying amen. So moved. Welcome to the family of Christ. You are now a Christian. You ask somebody today how they know they're a Christian. I walked an aisle, I talked with a pastor, I checked the box and I went baptized and I'm on that big old leather book in that second shelf in the church office at First Baptist Church. Is that not the gospel truth this morning? I could go down my family tree I could go home and speed dial on my phone. I've got favorites, my family, and I could ask a majority of the flesh and blood, how do you know you're a Christian? Because I walked an aisle, I joined a church, and I was baptized, and I'm a member of a church. Wouldn't it be great to ask somebody, how do you know you're a Christian? Because I proclaim the Lord. I'm an Acts 11 believer. I proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the Word of God. I love the church. I invest in others. I'm being invested in by others. And we gather on a regular basis. And we are sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I tithe and I give and I serve because I know it's by God's grace that I've been saved. And I want to do whatever I can do that the Lord will add to his kingdom daily. Wouldn't that be awesome? how do you know you're saved I prayed a prayer and I talked to the pastor and I got baptized and he told me that if I'm a believer I go to heaven when I die and nobody can take that away so I'm a Christian that is going to be a sad delivery one day when we stand before Christ now I know I'm a Christian because I have done all those things but I know I'm a Christian because I know I have a desire to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ that's why I know I'm a Christian They were first called Christians. Turn if you will to first Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. Timothy to me is some of the my favorite books because Timothy is a pastor. And Paul was a, the elder the elder statesman. He was, a, he was the guy that had it all figured out. And he was the guy that Timothy was mentored under. So, you know, you think about being mentored by somebody, it was great. And so Timothy was, was Paul's little mentoree. And, and Paul was writing, the, we call these letters the pastoral epistles. And they're written to Timothy specifically about leading the church and what the local church should look like. And even if you just look at 1 Timothy and you back up and just... Now, in the English Bible, we have these little headings that, that have been added by man as a way to try to encourage people to understand the Bible. But even if you back up and you look at 1 Timothy and just go through the flow of it, there's a greeting, there's a warning against false teachers, there's a, a section there in, first, in chapter 1 that Christ came to save sinners, amen, It moves on to chapter 2, pray for all people. It moves on to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, how we need to structure our church and our church leadership. It says qualification for overseers, which would be an elder, which would be a pastor or bishop. And then it talks about qualifications uh, of, of a deacon and what a deacon and what a servant, all this looks like. Then it goes on to say in verse 14, In other words, I have said all of this about false teaching, about why Christ came, about why we pray for all people to be saved, about the qualifications of church leadership. I have said all that, 1 Timothy 3 verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, You may know how one ought to behave. You might know how one ought to have their purpose, their plan, their order, so that you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God. We're a household, which is the church. There's this universal church of all believers, but where is this letter being written to? A church, a group of people in a certain spot, in a certain city with the gospel to proclaim there. A church is in a particular place for a particular reason to reach a particular people. A local church is very important. I'll be honest with you. I've always had a a hard time encouraging people not to attend a church locally. I know that sounds kind of weird because I'd like everybody to come to this church. But I don't think we're the only church in town. It's going to be hard for you to be involved in a church that is not in your city. One of my favorite preachers in the world is Johnny Hunt. I like him. There's something about him. He gets me fired up. Would y'all be offended if I said I really like Johnny Hunt and on Sunday mornings I'd like to fly to Marietta because I like Johnny Hunt? But what about us? What about giving in your local church and serving in your local church? Well, I like Johnny Hunt. One of the things that is hurting the local church these days is the Internet and media. And we've turned church into more of a performance and a pastor we plant churches and which is fine. We're planting church in the but if it ever becomes that thing, well, I like that church. You know, so I always thought in my mind, so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive by a hundred churches to get to a church. Now I'm not saying you just go to a church, we're getting to that, but you know what I'm saying? It's something about investing your life and your resources in the place that you are. A local body, a church. A household, which is the church of the living God. Who lives in the church? God does. This is God's church. We are God's people. This is God's building. This is God's pulpit. I call God's blessed desk. I always try to remind myself I'm God's man for God's day, for God's people, for God's word behind his blessed desk. This is God's church. And notice what it is. A pillar and buttress of what? Truth. It does matter what we believe. It does matter who we are. And that takes us to this next point. Those are my three favorite passages on the church. Write them down. Pray over them. Live them out. Acts two forty-two through 47. Acts 11, 19 through 26. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Church and does matter how we do church does matter how we live out church does matter how we serve in the church does matter who are we we're a baptist church somebody asked me why are you baptist well i'm not baptist because i was brought up baptist i think my grandmother on one side was presbyterian my grandmother on the other side was methodist my mom and dad got married. And they, they just, they got married. They, did, they moved away from mom and dad. It's kind of one of those things. We don't want to go to church with our parents. We're going to kind of be our own. And so they kind of moved away in, in Atlanta somewhere. And there was a church around the corner. It was a Baptist church. So I was born in about, you know, I started going to Baptist church where I was born. How many of us went to the Baptist church where you were born? If you don't get that, ask somebody with a hand raised. I was hearing muffled Sunday school inside my mother. I became a believer, I came to Christ. I accepted a call in the ministry. I learned what all the isms mean. You'll get that later. I didn't realize there were so many. I just thought there was just Jesus and everything was all right. I came to a crisis of belief. Who am I? What do I believe? I'm Baptist, but I asked myself, am I a Baptist? And the answer is Yes. But I'm not Baptist because that's just who I am. You might you might be here today and go, I don't have any idea. I could be this could be an Episcopalian church following. I have no idea. I didn't like it. We are a unique people. It's kind of a strange place to start a sermon series. Who are we? We're Baptists. Those three verses are going to drive everything that we say and do about who we are as Baptists. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the doctrines of Baptist churches, not particular things and worship styles and church organization, but what makes historically Baptist Baptists, our understanding of the Bible. What is believer's baptism, priesthood of believers, soul competency, salvation by grace through faith, perseverance of the saints, symbolic ordinances, local autonomy, a heart for missions. You can go to any website, any encyclopedia, any, a lost person could write what are Baptists, and these are common threads. So it's just not something that the Southern Baptist Convention made up. This is who Baptists are. This is how we developed. And I think it's important that we know that. A quick history. For those that don't like history, just hang on. I'm not going to test you on this. And I, I checked with Josh. Josh is on the praise team, and he's a, a, a history teacher, and we've got other history teachers, and I had to check with them. I think it depends on who writes history to, to what history is. I mean, if you ask me what's the greatest football program in, in the SEC history, well, you know, what am I going to say? You ask you delusional people, you're going to say something else, okay? So I'm, I'm making light of that, but history is that way. It depends on where you go with it to what you hear. I always try to think of our view of World War II and Russia's view of World War II. That's a good read. Well, where did Baptists come from? In 1609, there was a, a, the first Baptist church, I guess you could say, the, a Baptist church was formed in Amsterdam in 1609. And they came out of the English Separatists. They were had pulled out of the English Anglican church because of their lack of, of separation between church and state. And so they were separating from the Anglican church in England. And it's kind of a funny story. These two men realized that there were some differences in things that were not right, that were not biblical and that they needed to pull away from that and one of the main things with being Baptist is that you come to faith in Christ then you are baptized and so the story goes they literally someone just poured water they self-baptized themselves we'll get to that but baptism is a key component they had left England and so then they came back to England so 1611 is the first Baptist church we have in England First Baptist Church in America was not in the South. First Baptist Church in America was in sixteen thirty eight in Providence, Rhode Island. Building is still there, I believe. Here are some very influential churches that helped develop and shape Southern Baptist life or Baptist life. We're getting to Southern Baptist Baptist life. In sixteen eighty two, we had a, a Baptist church in Charleston, South Carolina. In 1755, we had the establishment of Sandy Creek Baptist Church in North Carolina, the first Baptist church that I could find was in Camilton, Florida, was in 1845. And then, what year was this church established? Y'all don't know that? We're going to stay overtime. You 1913. We just celebrated. That's a long time ago. You think about that. If you notice, our go to Facebook or, or some of our social media. I mean, anybody paying attention to the, uh, the logo that we have? Who are we? If, I'm, if I think, Matt, am I correct? That's a black and white picture of our church back a long time ago. So if you go to the Facebook and you see our new sermon series, Who We Are, and you see this black and white picture with, a, with older folks standing around in black and white, that's us when we were over there. And it's funny because I shared Wednesday night. Back when I was little, I thought old people, everything was black and white. I mean, you think about a little kid. I remember seeing like the first color. Hey, color. You know, I thought everything was black and white back in that day. It just does seem older. That's kind of cool to think about. 1913, a group of people met somewhere in this city, and it was a small band of people, and they decided there needs to be a Baptist church here. We're going to learn why that was important. Why a Baptist church? Here's some historical things you might be interested in, and if you want to write these down, research them yourself, because they're very helpful for us understanding how the Baptist church has had such an influence in the world. In 1707, we had the, the first association that began to structure, and that's what makes Baptists so unique, is they would band together in associations to do work, and it's the Philadelphia Association, the city of brotherly love. In 1758, we had the first uh, outside of Charleston, South Carolina, we had the first association in, in North Carolina. And there's a reason why the Sandy Creek, and we'll get to that probably later on in some of our studies, in, in the 1758, the Sandy Creek Association. That's that again, seven that's a long time ago. Some of y'all may remember. In eighteen fourteen they realize, hey, the Association Philadelphia has got some things going on pretty neat. The Charleston Association has got some things going on pretty neat. They realize if we come together, we can do more together than we can do alone. Why don't we create a Baptist convention? So the triennial, which means three, the triennial convention formed in 1814, and they met every three years. And so it was the United States, this triennial convention of Baptists. And we're going to see over the next several weeks what they believed. Guess what happened in 1845? You had the Triennial Convention. You've got tension in our country. Slavery was an issue that was very at the heat of it. That was probably at the core issue of it. You had slavery in the South, abolitionists in the North. You had this huge southern you had this huge baptist convention they immediately began to send out missionaries there was a slight if you are if you are a slave owner you were not allowed to be sent out onto the mission field and so not saying it's right we've repented of that but in the south with the plantations and the agriculture there was this great influence of 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 way that agriculture and living was done and, and none of the southern people were getting out as Missionaries, so guess what happened in 1845 in Augusta, Georgia? The forming of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's a long time ago, isn't it? So in 1845, we have the beginnings of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I won't bore you with the rest of those things, but you can see that being Baptist is a big deal. There's there's, There's history behind it. There's a lot of things involved with what it means to be a Baptist church. I'm saying all this to say this. There is a reason that we gather today under the name of Baptist. There is a reason for that. There is also a reason that we have to know who it is that we are. And even when people tell me, it just drives me crazy. So if you've ever told me that, please don't say it again. And if you tell me again, I'll probably try not to act like I'm shocked. It does matter where you go to church. Now I will drive to Mar- I will fly to Marietta, Georgia to go to Johnny Hunt's church. If there's no other church between here or there that's biblical, but I'm not saying that there aren't. it does matter where you go to church. I get so tired of people saying, well at least they're going somewhere. What if somewhere's a cult? What if somewhere they don't even have the Bible open? What if somewhere they're just crazy liberals and they're doing whatever they want to do? Yeah, that is somewhere, but is it the church? Now, this sermon is not that when you get to heaven, you're going to say, welcome to the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? So don't hear me. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Baptists are the only ones in heaven. I'm just saying we need to know who we are and why we are who we are. There's one thing that started the whole movement, and that's point one of who we are as Baptists the Bible. You ever heard of a guy called Martin Luther? Remember what happened in 1517? The Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was when there was the, the Roman Catholic Church. And if you don't think, and, you know, somebody say, well, wait a minute, be careful now, I'm Catholic. Or, Okay, I always tell people this. Have you ever seen the movie Three Musketeers, a movie like that? And everybody's saying, well, what is he talking about? I'm trying to think of a movie to where you're seeing Catholicism back in that day. Let me just say it was messed up. I mean, it was just, it was, it was not good. And that was the church. It was, you know, you had indulgences and you had people running around and killing people that were trying to put the Bible in their words and Wycliffe. And you had a lot of this going on. And the Pope was like the emperor and the Pope ruled. And you had just the the Catholic church and it just ruled over everything. And Martin Luther sitting up in his little monastery and he's reading the Bible because he could because he was a priest. And he began to read the Bible and said, this isn't right. There, there are parts of this that are right, but then there's all this stuff. Where does it come from in the Bible? And you the, uh, the, think of the 1500s, the main thing that was going on was the idea of the indulgences and going out and getting the money and you were paying for people's sins and you've paid enough to the church, people's sins can be forgiven. It's a great fundraiser, by the way. <laughs> and so the Protestant Reformation was just people saying... Wait a minute. So my line of thought is everything that's outside of the Roman Catholic Church started somewhere after the Protestant Reformation. Everything kind of got its start. Now, some people could say that Baptists have been around forever because we have John the Baptist. Well, that was because of what he did. So a great historical read is just go Google Protestant Reformation. It's wonderful to see what took place as people fought for the Bible. I mean, I think of these men. Could you imagine being a Catholic priest, a monk, and going up and nailing these this, this thesis up on the... And knowing that, you know, I don't, I don't understand how the word Martin Luther wasn't killed immediately. But he did that because he believed in the Bible. And he was willing to say, this is what the Word says. It's the idea of the the solas of the Reformation, the the things that drove the Reformation in, in Latin, sola alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone. If you want to see the back of the first Baptist church, there's sola scriptura written on his back. And every one of even the Baptist churches that started faced immense persecution because it went against religion and they were willing to stand on the word. You can almost understand that today as we stand on the word in a culture that doesn't want to hear it. There's not a week that goes by that I don't tell somebody, you know, you're trying to explain marriage and you're going, well, the Bible says, well, now, it's kind of like that. We have to just stand on the word. So, when we think about who we are as a Baptist church, the Bible is our authority. Turn, if you will, to Rome, uh, Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen, beginning in verse eighty nine. And it's key to understand it from this context. Forever, O oh Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in heaven. Now, I don't know many just like to jump in and catch a verse and pull it out and use it, but how many would be willing to say that it makes sense biblically and just logically that God's Word would always be available? Does that just make sense? God's Word is always going to be available, and the Scripture says that it is fixed in heaven. So God has said, I have created a people, I have created this, I've created the world, and why would He not say, I will always have my Word available? The Word will be fixed in heaven. That's the Reformation. When when it broke from the church, they were just saying, God has spoken, but yet the church is saying God speaks through people. God doesn't speak through people. God speaks through His Word. Now, God speaks through people that speak through the Word, but not just people. Does that make sense? It would be like me saying, this is what God says, but I want to add a little bit of something else to it. On the way in, God told me this. You know, God told me to climb up in this, uh, on this, I'm trying to think what He did. Uh, I'm going to climb up in this little, tower and until we raise ten million dollars I'm not coming down God told me that now hopefully a deacon will stand up to have fun up there hope you bring, hope you bring a lot of food God had not told us that I mean you see I'm saying that's what happened God told me no God has said he has fixed his word Isaiah 48 Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will do what? Stand forever. And you ask yourself, why wouldn't it? I mean, just logically, why wouldn't it? It's fixed in heaven forever. The flower fades, the, the grass withers. Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Who we are is people that understand that God's word will stand forever. Even if no one standing around it does say it, the Lord will always be. It's not up for opinion. It's not up for vote. We don't declare the word of God, the word of God, so move, move forward. No, it is the word of God. We as Baptist people have historically been people of the word. 1 Peter 2:2 First Peter 2:2 Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good, like newborn infants, first Peter two two Long for the pure mere spiritual milk then it by you might grow into salvation. It's reference to the word and you see in scripture in the New Testament if God's word is fixed in heaven and God's word is always true and God will always speak to his people and you can always depend on God to speak to us and then we see in the New Testament that it's saying that we should long for and acknowledge and read and grow in it. There, You can see what God is doing. He's saying there's a, a means to which I am communicating with you and it will be beneficial for you. 2 Peter 3 4. 2 Peter 3 4. 2 Peter 1 3 through 4. 2 Peter 1 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. By this, He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of divine nature." His word is fixed in heaven. His word is always true. His word is there for our benefit and growth. He has given us all things that pertain to life. He has granted to us precious promises that we may partake in his divine nature. 2 Timothy 3:16 2 Timothy 3:16 probably the most preached on verse on Scripture. My word is fixed. My word is sure. My word will always be around. My word is there to help you grow. My word is there to provide you with all God and everything you need is there for you and for all God. My, my word is there to help you grow in divine nature. It's all about what God is saying. I am a God that wants to communicate with you. Everything I say is true. Everything I say is right. Everything you need to know is available. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16, mark this, all Scripture. Just breathe out by God. God spoke in the beginning and He created the heavens and earth by His word. He sent the judges as His word. He sent the prophets as His word. He sent Jesus Christ as His word. The apostles had His word. The apostles wrote His word. Just as Isaiah stood before the kings and said, "Thus saith the Lord," is the word for us here today. How many of us sit there and say, "If I could just get a word from God, oh, I wish I could just, if I could just, if God would just come tell me something. I wish I could have the, an encounter with God. I wish I had a little my own little prophet or a fresh, fresh voice from the Lord. We do have a fresh voice from the Lord." Just as Isaiah prophesied and Ezekiel prophesied and the prophets prophesied and based upon what those kings did, God cast his judgment upon the people or he blessed his people according to how they responded to the word. God is saying to us here today, I love you. I sent my son for you. He died on the cross for you. I want you to go and make a difference in the world. I want you to go share the gospel. I want this church to be like the church of Acts. I want to see people day by day coming to know the Lord. I want to see your families transformed. I want to see your husband come to know Christ. I want to see your wife come to know Christ. I want to see your children come to know Christ. I have given a word. It is fixed in heaven and is right in front of you. And from the very beginning, Baptist said, this book is special. When I think about the word, and I'll close with this. There are five words I want us to know. You've heard this before from me. Who are we? We're not elevating Baptists among everything else, but we just I think it's important we know who we are. You ever notice you can go up to any Marine and ask Marine when his birthday is? November the tenth, seventeen seventy five, my Marine Corps came alive in Tun Tavern, Philadelphia. Ooh. Where's Kenny? Wake up, Kenny. I bet the Air Force doesn't know that, or the Army knows that, and the Navy they don't even care. True. I'm not insulting you. You know why they tell a Marine that? That's who we are. I can see a total stranger with a Marine hat on and go, ah! Sharon goes, good gosh, honey. Yeah. Hoorah! Thank you, Ken. He's up now. Now I got him going. That's who we are. That's what we do. You better be glad that you all be speaking Japanese and not for us. I want us to be that proud of who we are as a church. It's not that we're Baptists. but We are Bible-believing Christians. And men and women have died. I, was, I didn't have time. This thing was going to be eight hours long before it was over with. Google Wycliffe. Read about that guy. Read about the martyrs that were burned at the stake and tarred and burned because they were writing the Bible in a language that common people could understand it. The Bible is a big deal. Key words, authority. It is God's word for us today. Infallibility, there's not an error in it. I understand we as Baptists, our history as Baptists is division. Some of the, One of the, the foundational rocks of church growth in Southern Baptist life is we get mad and start another one. And there's a reason behind it, so you've got to stick around over the next several weeks, and I'm going to tell you why. But there's no error found in Scripture. If there is, it doesn't mean anything to me. If a man lies to me one time, can I ever trust another word he says to me? Not really. I want to, but I can't. There's not an error in Scripture. With interpretation and exegesis and hermeneutical principles, I think we can understand how Scripture fits together perfectly. It fits together perfectly. Clarity. We can understand the Bible. That was what the Reformation, that's what Baptists said. The Bible is for common people. We can understand it. We don't need a priest to tell us the Bible, we need people to get us the Bible in English so we can read it. We can't understand it. That's what the Spirit abides within us for. Necessity. The Bible is absolutely a necessity for salvation and spiritual growth. There are things that we can do to share the gospel. I can have a puppet that talks about Jesus. I can have an evangelicube. I can have a clown. I can juggle. I can do all kinds of stuff. That's not going to save anybody. That may get people's interest. But you better share the gospel with them or they're never going to know what salvation is. We can share the gospel in many ways, but the Bible is necessary for salvation. It is necessary for spiritual growth. So many of us are saying here today, I just feel so blah in my spiritual life. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? How much time do you spend worshiping the Lord at church? How much time do you spend in prayer at home? One of the dangers I have and it's a daily struggle, is intimate time in the Word or preparing for a sermon. That makes sense? To block out, I have, a, I have such crazy, my, my ADD spikes at about 6 in the morning. Between 5 and 6, I'm just, if there was a such thing as an ADD monitor, I'd be off the charts. My mind is running a million miles an hour. I guess I'm, I'm fresh in the morning. And every time I pick up the Bible, I'm thinking about Sunday morning sermon it's Wednesday night Bible study and Sunday night sermon. And it's just like I want to scream and just run around and go, stop it. I want to study the Word to just grow closer to the Lord because it's necessary for my spiritual life. It's not something I just do, it's something I want to do. And then the last word is sufficiency the Word is enough. We're talking about church life. We're going to talk about Baptist church life. There are different ways that we can do things and there are different ways that we can lead a church and try to get the big thing done, purpose and strategy and vision. But this is sufficient to do everything. If God's Word says it, then God's Word said it. If God's Word doesn't say it, then God's Word doesn't say it. It, Where it says it, it says it. It's sufficient. We don't need anything else. We get all wound up over the stuff it doesn't say. and That's what makes us mad. I wish we'd get mad over what it does say. That's when the revivals start. We get all fired up about what God's Word has said. That, you know, we, think about that. The, you think, of, and I'm making fun of Baptists, if you have been Baptist more than a week, you get this. We love to divide. We love to argue over something, and passionately we'll do it. And the stuff that we get so worked up over, God is in heaven just weeping, I think. We need to be fired up of what God does say and what God's Word says to us. Men, I, I, I was reading all week about this. And I just got kind of fired up about it. These men that I've been reading about this week as Baptists have died for this. They have, there have been men that have literally given their life to put Baptists on a church sign. If you think about it that way. And we take for granted what it means to be part of a church. Who are we? I hope we're people of the word. We need to search scripture for answers. We do not add to scripture. We do not count outside guidance equal to scripture. We trust the word. We read and study the word. We listen to the word. We meditate on. And we live out the word. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the men and women and families that were willing to give their life many years ago when the Reformation started and you began to see the evangelical church spring forth out of dead religion. I thank you for the churches that have come from that, those Baptist churches those Presbyterian churches, the Methodist church, the Mennonite church, the all the churches that developed and grew out of that moment of time. Lord, I'm also thankful for that, that strand of church, of your kingdom, those men and those women that stood on the word, and they called themselves Baptists. They said, we're going to stand on the word of God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in 1913, a people of this community got together and they said, we want to have a church that we are in the heart of this city for the hearts of this city. And I'm thankful they made a decision to stand on the word. I pray, Lord, that we take up that banner, we take up that baton and we continue to run and we run and we run and we run and we hold up the word of God and we live out and we say, thus Say it the Lord. And your word teaches us that day by day, people will be added to your church. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never publicly professed you as their Lord and Savior, that they know that today is a day that they need to repent of their sin and place their faith in you. I ask, Lord, if there's anyone here, if there's a family here, an individual here that is looking to identify with the church and a Baptist church in particular, that today would be the day that they would align themselves with who we are and what you're doing in our midst. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.